I'm Dale Denwalt. And I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This week, we explore how Oklahoma lawmakers have responded to Black Lives Matter protests in their first legislative session since the murder of George Floyd. The Oklahoma legislature has given its answer to protests against racial injustice, which broke out last summer after a Minneapolis police officer murdered George Floyd, a black man in custody. Rather than heeding calls to reform or defund police, lawmakers in Oklahoma passed multiple pro-law enforcement bills and approved legislation that would block schools from teaching critical race theory. Capitol reporter Carmen Foreman is back with us this week. Lawmakers have said some of this legislation isn't meant to counter Black Lives Matter protests, but many people have taken notice of the number of bills that push in the opposite direction of what protesters wanted. Is it fair to say there's been a pattern here that the bills introduced and passed this year form some kind of a response by lawmakers? Absolutely. I think that's safe to say um, because it does appear that a a number of the bills that the legislature introduced this year and and some advanced and some haven't, you know, made it all the way through the process. um, But many of the ones that did at least advance partway through the session and could come back next year um, did seem to kind of like, how do I put this nicely, crack down on protests a little bit. And, And what those lawmakers who are supporting those bills would tell you is that they're not trying to um, get in the way of anyone's First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, you know, freedom to petition and protest, all of those things. They are more concerned about when a protest turns violent and when a protest becomes essentially a riot or an unlawful assembly. They worry about businesses getting smashed or people getting hurt. Um, And so they say that's why um, they're finally introducing some of these bills. Carmen, your reporting on this started two months ago with a story about lawmakers doubling down on pro-police legislation. Some of these bills have since died on the vine, but they got further than other bills that were considered police reforms and requiring more transparency on police misconduct. Uh, Generally, has there been any real movement in either direction on legislation that affects policing in Oklahoma? I would say, like, big picture, no, definitely not. Um, And what we've seen across the country is after George Floyd's death and after widespread racial justice protests, people were calling for police reform. And, you know, on some ends of the spectrum, that was more extreme in that, you know, some folks were saying defund the police entirely. Well, this is Oklahoma. That's never going to happen. We have a Republican-controlled state. They're never going to let that happen. And then, but there were more, you know, middle ground reforms, more moderate reforms for policing, such as like banning the use of chokeholds, or at least reevaluating the use of chokeholds. Or, you know, for example, one Democratic lawmaker here introduced a bill to add additional oversight um, to instances where there are cases of police misconduct or in which there is an officer-involved shooting. And maybe the AG forms an office um, to look into those instances and those cases. 
But what we found in the legislature this year is that um, overwhelmingly these democratic ideas for um, reforming policing didn't get heard. That's that's not unusual, right? It's a Republican-controlled legislature a lot of times. Democratic bills don't get heard, no matter what subject they're on. Um, but then we did see this sort of rush of bills that did... Um, I wouldn't say that they're pro-policing. There were a couple that were like, you know, we'll let um, localities create ordinances so people can draw blue lines on streets as a show of support for law enforcement. Um, I, I wouldn't say that there were any bills to like give law enforcement more power per se, but um, one probably one good example is down in Norman, Senator Standridge, um, obviously the this Norman City Council over the summer, they voted to cut some of the police budget. And that that started quite the fight among city residents. Um, the whole Unite Norman thing sprung out of that. And so Standridge, Senator Standridge, he introduced a bill that would sort of it's something the state already kind of requires, but it doubles down on it that, you know, if a city council wanted to cut specific funds to law enforcement or police. And if those funds were voted on through a voter referendum, let's say voters voted to give $1 million to the police department um, and the city council just unilaterally cuts it. Well, Senator Standridge's bill wouldn't allow that. Senator Standridge's bill, would, which has now become law, would require that the voters get a say in whether or not to cut those funds that they first approved. Anyway, so that's just sort of a good example of where the legislature reaffirmed its support for law enforcement and police in the state of Oklahoma. There have been some bills, Carmen, like you mentioned earlier, that critics called anti-protest. The most controversial was one that granted immunity to people who hit or kill protesters with their vehicles. Um, This bill has been signed into law. Uh, So I was wondering if you could just take us through the details of what this bill is intended to do and what the response has been to it. Sure. Um, So this is House Bill 1674, and it is uh, from Representative Kevin West, who's a Republican lawmaker out of Moore and um, is very controversial. Um, He says that, again, it's not um, intended to curtail protests at all, but um, it does increase penalties for people who are protesting in the streets. Um, So it makes it a misdemeanor to unlawfully block a road or a highway. And as we've seen in the past year, there have been some protests like, um, and even beyond this past year um, of protesters taking to highways, roads, blocking streets. And, um, you know, Representative West kind of said, oh, well, there's some, there's some safety concerns for drivers in that. But the more, you know, the, the more noteworthy part, the part that's getting more attention nationally, is that um, the bill would give, would grant civil and criminal immunity to drivers who hit Oklahomans unintentionally, hit or, and if, if they injure that person, if they kill that person unintentionally while fleeing from a riot. So, um, Republicans who supported the bill have overwhelmingly said, you know, this is just dealing with riots. This is not dealing with protests. 
Um, but some on the other side have said, you know, well, what makes a protest a riot? This could be unfairly applied. So, you know, let's say there's a group of Second Amendment protesters blocking a street at the Capitol. Um, you know, some Black Lives Matter protesters have basically said, oh, I don't think they're going to get as harsh a treatment as Black Lives Matter protesters that are walking on a street near the Capitol or something. It just Anyways, uh, I think I answered your question. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's important to mention that most, if not all, of these protests that sprung up were peaceful. There was one that I actually covered that did get to be, uh, there was property damage that resulted from it. Um, But I don't think that anybody classified any of the protests in Oklahoma as a riot, at least not officially. Um, And, you know, this... A lot of people took notice of this bill, given the events up in Tulsa of of a driver who was, some people said he was driving aggressively, the driver said that he uh, was uh, being attacked, Um, but in the end, you know, there were protesters blocking a highway, and he ended up hitting some of them. I believe a man has been uh, paralyzed because of a fall off of that overpass. Um, So I think there's been a lot of national attention, especially related to that situation. So would you say, you know, it's those situations where there are conflicting accounts that creates that gray area? Yeah, I definitely think so. And, and it's, it's also, you know, your worldview, right? You, May if if you're a Democratic lawmaker, you look at these Black Lives Matter protesters and you think, well, these folks are protesting on the streets and the roads because they feel it's the only way that they can get people to listen to them. And then if you're a Republican lawmaker, in some instances, you might think, well, this this poor man in his family with his family driving this horse trailer, we're just trying to go home from lunch or church or something, and they get it, you know surrounded by these protesters. These protesters are beating on their car and they're scared, legitimately scared. And they don't know what could happen. And so that's the reason they act the way they acted. And, and you know, Republican lawmakers have basically said, this, this gives DAs more, uh, more knowledge of, of when to prosecute and when not to prosecute, in a sense. Um, but you made a really good point about riots in general. Uh, because Oklahoma, you know, obviously very famous for the Tulsa race massacre, which was for a long time just called the Tulsa race riot um, until people kind of realized maybe that's not the right thing to call it. But um, the interesting thing is when when there is a protest that gets out of hand, um, and you might know better than I would because you've covered cops for a while, but more often than not, cops will call it an unlawful assembly. They won't call it a riot. And uh, so it's just, it creates this situation where if you are a driver and you're in the middle of what may be a protest, what may be an unlawful assembly, what may be a riot, and, and you're scared, um, but there are people walking all around you or maybe hitting your car. It's like, do you, just creates this uncertainty. What can you do in that scenario? Well, Carmen, let's kind of take a step back um, uh, and look at the broader picture of this legislative session. Um, and specifically, if you can, clue us into um, kind of the viewpoint, the mindset of, of, uh, of folks uh, participating in Black Lives Matter and other activism groups, and even black lawmakers, 
who go to work every day at the Capitol while they're in session. Um, what, what do they have to say about how this session has gone? Do they feel like they've been heard? I, I would say no. Um, and that's not to say, you know, some of these protesters aren't necessarily calling their lawmakers and saying, here's how I feel on a certain bill and that those lawmakers aren't listening. I just, um, I think black lawmakers especially have felt that they introduced a slew of police reform measures and criminal justice measures, which to some extent, you know, the, the racial justice protests also stem into criminal justice reforms, because I think a lot of us recognize that uh, the law and criminal justice treats minorities, people of color, differently than it treats white people or uh, affluent people or, you know, people who can uh, throw money around. And so uh, black lawmakers and those in the minority in the in the legislature, they introduced a bunch of measures um, intended to address those problems or those questions, and they just didn't get heard. And so I think a lot of those black lawmakers definitely feel like their voices, their opinions weren't heard. And, um, you know, there's... There's sort of an, a non-racial divide in the legislature because um, all of the black lawmakers in the legislature happen to be Democrats. There's not a single black lawmaker who's a Republican. And those Democrats, yes, while they're used to being in the minority and not and used to not being asked their opinion all the time, they felt like if if you're going to address the issue of police reform, protests, things like that, you should talk to um, black lawmakers or people who are intertwined in the black community that know that community well, because honestly, what they have said and what some folks f who have participated in protests last summer have said is that, again, that this law, these laws could be unfairly applied and used to target people of color and black people. And Honestly, Senator Kevin Matthews, he said something during a Senate debate on one of these bills that that kind of really drove his point close to home. And that is that affluent white folks, um, you know, you can afford to hire a lobbyist to get your message or your bills through the state capitol. Or you maybe know a guy who knows a guy who can hook you up and talk to this state lawmaker and and then you can get whatever you want through, you know, get your voice heard at the state capitol. But these people from minority communities and these people who felt so compelled to speak out after George Floyd's death, they maybe didn't have a friendly ear to turn to in the legislature or at least in the majority uh, Republican legislature. And so... For them, you know, to some extent, protesting is how they try to push for justice. They're not used to going through the traditional means of, of, of talking to your city councilors or your lawmakers or whatever. But, you know, they see protesting as a way to start a conversation about making reforms and to affect change. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, they think that rioting is okay. And I think we all know that rioting is not okay and damaging property is not okay. But they see that taking to the streets is one way they can try to make changes happen. And speaking of entities that 
are well-versed in going through the traditional process. One of your stories mentioned that law enforcement groups have significant sway with the legislature. What influence does a presence like that have on the Republican supermajority and and on what legislation has been pursued this year? Yeah, so one of the things, and this is just me sort of speaking off the cuff, but one of the things I've always heard um, about criminal justice reform at the legislature is that it's very hard to pass major criminal justice reforms because the district attorneys throughout the state hold significant sway um, politically, basically. And they have, you know, the ear of their state lawmakers and the state lawmakers don't want to do anything, um, you know, that goes against what the DAs want. And um, at to that end, I would also say, you know, there's different groups. There's the Sheriff's Association. They have significant sway. Um, again, talking about criminal justice reform, the bail bondsmen, they have some sway at the Capitol. And so, um, all of those folks sort of have a voice in the broader conversation. Um, but then we also have to look at, you know, just the politics all around us, right? In a year where, um, you know, super progressive Democrats uh, in more progressive parts of the country were calling for defunding the police, Republicans in this part of the country took that and they said, you know, no, we're never we're never going to defund the police. We absolutely do not agree with these calls. You know, law enforcement is essential to our society. We must value them. We must appreciate them. We must treat them well. And so um, just as much as there were folks calling for defunding the police, there were just as many Republicans and conservatives that were saying, no, back the blue, um, stand by our law enforcement. And so I think you see that also playing out a little bit in the legislature. Not that anybody in Oklahoma, even the Democrats, are calling for defunding the police, but you do see this uh, just sort of pro-law enforcement, um, pro-police uh, sort of stance at the legislature. And all of that with the caveat that um, the legislature can't even really defund the police. The only uh, sort of law enforcement entity that the legislature can fund is the Oklahoma Highway Patrol and the Department of Public Safety. So uh, local police, that they have, they really don't have a say over that because that would be funded by a county commission or a city council. Now, I have a question for both of you. Um, Carmen and Nuria, you both covered a bill that would ban public schools and universities from teaching something called critical race theory. If you'll explain what is critical race theory and uh, what impact could this legislation have? Yeah, so critical race theory, um, it, it, it explores and discusses how race and racism are woven into the fabric of our society's structures. So the criminal justice system, our education system, how outcomes for people of color are so often demonstrably worse than for more affluent people and then for uh, white people. So really just explaining how racism exists in a structural sense, not just one bad apple saying and doing racist things. That's Those are the things that critical race theory discusses. Um, and so we, there is a bill, House Bill 1775, that uh, would ban the teaching of critical race theory in public schools and public colleges and universities. 
Um, and this bill has a lot of people very <laughs> apprehensive, very, there are people who very are just so staunchly against this. Um, I think one reason is that, you know, especially in light of the protests over uh, racial injustice, um, a lot of people came to the consensus that these complex conversations on race need to happen and that this younger generation wants to have these conversations. Um, and so here is a bill that people fear will make teachers reluctant and make teachers kind of skittish to have those conversations in their classrooms for fear of breaking the law or, or getting in trouble in some way. It, it also is thrown into sharp relief with the fact that this year, this month, is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. That's a piece of history that was um, not taught in Oklahoma schools for generations, or at, at, the, at best, inconsistently taught, but in many schools it was absent completely. Um, I, I think the State Department of Education has made it very clear that this bill would not prevent the teaching of events in history like the Tulsa Race Massacre, but there are some who fear that it could get in the way of teachers allowing for conversations that could provide the context around why these events in history happen, these, context, these contextual discussions around race. That, I think, might be where the uh, impact is is going to be greater seen. Yeah, because, like, I mean, how... I think some folks that oppose this bill say, you know, how can you talk about the Tulsa Race Massacre, the Trail of Tears, um, and the the Osage murders that are so detailed in Killers of Flower Moon, any of those incidents, I mean, slavery, any of these things without talking about um, race. And like Nuria said, it doesn't ban the teaching of history. It won't prevent school children from learning about slavery or the Trail of Tears. Um, but it just makes teachers kind of nervous about like how much can they say, how much can they not. And, and there were just a lot of arguments like in the legislature from the Democrats basically saying, I don't know that this is happening because the bill itself says, you know, you, you will not make students feel, uh, I want to say something like uncomfortable because of things that their race or gender has done before them. So like if you, a teacher, were to make a student feel, a white student feel uncomfortable because white people had slaves, that would go against what this new law uh, or this bill that hasn't been signed into law, or, but maybe, um, says. Yeah, so it, signs are, are pointing toward the governor potentially signing this. Um, and yeah, this bill explicitly prohibits teachers from teaching students that they are inherently racist on account of the color of their skin. You know, that was a big talking point as well around those protests that white people are inherently racist. Um, and so this bill would say you cannot teach students that. Um, and so also there's it would ban the teaching that one uh, race, gender, sexual orientation is inherently better than another. Well, it, it, it sure does sound like um, quite a boring legislative session this year, Carmen. Um, just kidding on that one. Uh, thank you for all that you do in helping us shine a light onto what the, um, the politicians at 23rd and Lincoln are doing every day. Um, and 
you know, finding finding the rare nuggets of stories that uh, that people may miss, um, and and you know, telling us uh, what's happening and also what's not happening at the Capitol. We really appreciate it. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining this week. Carmen, thanks for joining us on this podcast. Now, this podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day at The Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.